is thankful again. I say it maybe every week, but I'm thankful for the Lord's table to uh, celebrate with you and remember Jesus. Um, but you see on the screen, tithes and offerings, worship in giving. I believe giving is part of worship. Do you? Uh, I was reminded this past week of a, a, a preacher friend of mine was preaching on First Chronicles. And he finished First Chronicles chapter 29, and in it, worship or giving is part of worship. And look what it says. I'm only going to read one verse, but I'll give you the leading up to it. King David is going to give uh, Solomon's becoming king, and King David and the people are building this temple for God, and they bring all the resources gold, silver, bronze, everything. And look what it says at the end. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Worship in giving. Giving is a part of worship. When we give freely, when we give wholeheartedly, not to me, not to the elders, not to the deacons, not to a person, but what? To the Lord. Because what are we doing here on earth? We are joining God in the work He is doing. It's not our work. It's God's work. And we're joining Him. That's why we give. That's why I give. Because I want to see the Gospel being proclaimed in the world through our missionaries we support, through the baby pantry we may support if we give that to the support, to whoever we support. We're getting the Gospel message out. Because of our giving. If it wasn't for our giving, I wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be here, this building wouldn't be here, right? That's why we worship in giving. And that's why First Chronicles is important to read. <laughs> Remember, I'm stressing how important the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. We can learn from the past. The people greatly rejoiced because they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. So let's pray for the offerings that were given today. God, we thank You so much for the opportunity to give back to You what You have entrusted to us. I pray that the offerings and monies that came in today would be used to further the work You're doing here and around the world. Thank You for those willingly and wholeheartedly giving today. I pray that we would not put our hope in money, put our hope in people, but put our hope and trust in You. And may Your will be done with this money that has been given today. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 119. We are going to be in part 8, I believe. Yes? Is it part 8? I can move the slide now on my own. Okay, so it's God's Word, the Holy Bible, part 8. I don't know about you, but each section of Psalm 119 to me, every time I sit down in the week, I'm like, man, it's the same thing, but it's the new thing. It's like something different. It like You go from section to section in this psalm, and it's all about God's Word, God's laws, decrees, precepts, but... It seems like it's similar to the previous sections, but then you start to study it and you're like, man, it's like there's more to it. You just keep going. And that's why I love God's Word because every time I read it, 
I'm not disappointed. Every time I read it, I'm not disappointed. I'm like, man, that is so good. I want to share it with somebody else. Do you ever feel that way? When you're reading a section of the Bible and you're like, man, that is so good. I got to call somebody up. I got to text somebody this verse or I just got to share what I've learned from it. I get that urge sometimes and I don't know if I've done it to you, but if I send you a text saying this verse hit me, I want to share it with you. I don't know if you've gotten any from me. If you haven't, I'm going to do it. Okay, I'm going to start doing it more because this should be exciting. When we read it, it's not just a book. It's a beautiful book. It's a powerful book. It's an alive book, okay? There's power in these words, okay? Because who breathed it into writers to write it down? God Himself breathed into writers, and the Holy Spirit said, write this down because I want other generations to read it. And that's why we have it today. And I'm so glad that it's preserved for us. So, Psalm chapter 119, starting in verse 57. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight I rise to give you thanks For your righteous laws, I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Pray with me before we dive into this section today. God, you are holy. We come confidently into your throne of grace. This morning we cry out to you to teach us according to your word. Teach us to live by it. Teach us what is important. Teach us your word today. God, thank you so much for just the family we have here in this community. There's people not here today and we truly miss them. Whether it's due to illness, vacation, traveling, or whatever the case may be, we miss them. So we pray that you would be with them, put your hand of healing, comfort, protection, safety, on each one of those who could not be here for whatever reason that may be. We know that you are with them and we thank you for that. God, thank you for the remembrance and the reminder that Jesus died, He rose again, and He's coming back. Help us to proclaim that till you come back. Thank you for this psalm that has been given and preserved for us to read today and study and learn from together. I pray that we would have open hearts and minds to listen to you. And may your will be done today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. John Wooden, a UCLA legendary basketball coach. He's no longer alive, but he said this, and it's one of my favorite quotations. If I am through learning, I am through. This morning is part 8 of our Psalm 119 series. And the psalmist, no doubt, had this mentality of not wanting to be through the learning and growing process. He wanted to learn and grow in his relationship with God and His Word each and every day. And John Wooden had the same idea. He said, if you're through learning, you're through. Do you like to learn? I like to learn. Um, Sometimes I... want to learn a new thing and it I mean it's frustration after an hour and I'm like "Ah, I'm not going to learn that but then I'm like I should have learned that but we like learning we like learning new things we like learning how to do something better I'm still trying to learn golf better Um, it's getting there but we want to learn we want to try things that we get better at we practice we practice we practice right and this psalmist um, is saying Things in this section that will help us, I believe. But remember, we're reading through this psalm together. We're pondering it, right? Now listen to this, because this um, helps me when we're especially studying Psalm 119. Okay, Reading through, studying, pondering over, and teaching, preaching this psalm for me has helped me understand. The importance of this. Learning and growing in my relationship with God and His Word. And I hope that it's been helpful for you to learn how to, what we do with this beautiful book, God's Word, the Holy Bible, what do we do with it? Do we really study it, ponder it, uh, read it, meditate on it, teach it to others? Or do we just read it to read it? And put it back on the shelf. That's what we want to answer all throughout Psalm 119. It's a long chapter. We're going to go through it all. But keep that in mind. What do we do with this beautiful book? Ruth Duck in her book wrote this. And it helped me understand the responsibility of preaching. Listen to what it says. She said this. Mere exposition of Scripture is not enough. For preaching must help people draw connections between the perspectives of Scripture and their daily lives and relationship with God. In preaching, the world of the text and the world of today are put in dialogue with each other. In this way, Scripture and contemporary experience illumine one another, helping us perceive who God is and what God is doing in the church and the world and in our particular lives. If I was up here merely just expositing Scripture, it'll be helpful, right? Yes? But if we actually study the text, and actually live by it, and apply it to our daily lives, that's what I think we need to do with this beautiful book. I can understand a text to the T, And don't know how to live it out. Do you agree with that one? I can know a text from 
one, pay, one word to the next, understand it, give it to you, and then you're like, hey, Keith, you're not living by it. What's up? Can that happen? Yeah, I've seen it. People know this left from Genesis to Revelation. I look at their lives and I'm like, uh, have you read Genesis to Revelation? <laughs> I know you're teaching it well, but I don't see anything different in your life. People can know this, but not live by it. I can preach this and know it left to right, but if I'm not living by it, why am I preaching, right? you agree with that? I'm not here just to do exposition of Scripture. It's good. But I want it to be in our lives. I want people to actually look at us and say, you are a walking Bible. Thank you. I want people to do that. You know Jesus. You know God very well. You are living by His commands. And then we would say, well, this is the book I'm studying. This is the book I'm living by. This is the God I serve. This is the God who sent Jesus. And we learn about Jesus in here. It's not just a book to be read and put back on the shelf. It's a book to be lived by. These are precious words. And we need to live by them. So what do we do with this beautiful book? Today, our focus is this. We are to grow in our relationship with God and His Holy Word. In any relationship, taking initiative is necessary. And some of you may be thinking, why did you use the word initiative? Here's why. Look at these two definitions. Listen to two definitions of the word initiative from the Oxford Dictionary. Number one, the power or opportunity to act or take charge before others do. Definition two, an act or strategy intended to resolve a difficulty or improve a situation, a fresh approach to something. That second definition hit me. That's why I use the word initiative. In relationship, in any relationship, taking initiative is necessary. Did you hear that definition? An act or strategy intended to resolve a difficulty or improve a situation. Taking initiative. This psalmist here is taking the initiative, and you're going to see it. We're going to go through it. But I was I was um, early in the week when I thought about the word initiative and put it on my focus. And all I can think of that was this, the initiative. Who took the initiative after the fall in the garden? Which he already knew was going to happen, I believe. But God took the initiative. He said, I'm going to make a way to reconcile your relationship with me. God created the world. He created humans. They fell and He didn't destroy them, right? He said... I'm making a way to reconcile this relationship. And what happens in the Old Testament? God's with the people, right? He's with them, walking with them in the wilderness, walking with them, walking with them. He's with them. And then we get to Jesus. What happens? He sends Jesus. What happens? He goes to the cross, dies for us. He took that initiative, right? But there are necessary steps in we have to take too, I believe. In any relationship, the relationship with us and God, 
with us in His Word, and with us with each other. There's initiative. So that's what we're going to go over. In any relationship, we need to take the initiative. It's necessary. Does that make sense? Here we go. So last week, let's jump back to verse 56 real quick. Last week, the psalmist ends like this. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. Remember another translation said, this has become mine, that I observe your precepts. So the psalmist is saying, this is mine. This has been my practice. I'm obeying your precepts. I'm observing your laws. That has been my practice. It's mine. I'm going to do it. Okay. Then he gets to this section. Okay. The psalmist writes in this section, You are my portion, Lord. And then I had to stop there. Because when I think of portion, what do you think? If you think like me, what do you think of when you hear the word portion? Okay, dinner, yes, dinner. My portion, I got my portion of food. Okay. And a portion is how big? Okay. You come to dinner at my house. We make a lot of food, okay? But how much food do you get at first? A portion, right? Not the whole thing. So it tripped me up, okay? He said, Lord, you are my portion. Okay? Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, says this, Because you have satisfied me, God. I was like, okay. Helps a little bit. Because true satisfaction comes from God. I believe that. It is interesting, though, when you read English, okay? I, I'm an English speaker, okay? I have an English Bible. But to me, it's interesting because words trip me up. Do words trip you up? They make you think? This word made me think. You are my portion, Lord. Because look at this. Portion means, we just said it, it's a part of the whole. Are we all on the same page? And in the Oxford Dictionary, it reads this, under that definition. So the definition, a part of a whole, and under that it says this, a part of something divided between people, a share. Okay? J.D., you said it over there. You said the set. We have a meal and you get your portion, right? We divided the meal together. That's food. But now he's saying, you are my portion, Lord. And this is all I could think of, okay? It is sweet to me that all people can cry out like the psalmist, You are my portion, Lord. We don't get part of the Lord. We get the whole Lord. Are you with me? We say, you are my portion, Lord, but we don't get a little bit. We get all of it. We get all of God. I can't look at Jody over there and say, man, he has a portion of the Lord I want. I got the same Lord. We can cry out with the psalmist, You are my portion, Lord. And we can be wholeheartedly thankful that we just don't get a little bit. I love that. But that word tripped me up. I was like, a portion? But we get the whole thing. Does that make sense? We can be thankful for it. We could stop there and be like, Yes, let's go. 
walk with God and be followers of Jesus and sharing it with others. But after this, you are my portion, Lord, the psalmist takes the initiative. One must take the initiative. And we're using the definition, remember, an act or strategy intended to resolve a difficulty or improve a situation. And the psalmist gives testimony to that fact. Okay? We must learn from the psalmist. The psalmist helps us. Okay? Do you ever read the psalms and just like, that's my situation. I need to pray that. It happens to me Sometimes when I read the psalm, I'm like, I could pray that in my own life and it'll be powerful. But this one, the psalmist is taking the initiative and we need to take the initiative because look at this. These are steps, actions, initiatives that we can take that represents our crying out, you are my portion, Lord. Okay? If you cry that out today, like the psalmist, these are steps, initiatives that I think we need to take. And I've learned that this week. Okay, Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to run through it real quick. And there's a couple highlights that are powerful to me in this initiative taking. So look at this. If you have your Bibles, you're going to follow along. Some, if I go to another scripture, it'll be on the screen, I believe. I think I sent it to Karen, right? Okay. So you are my portion, Lord. Look at the first thing the psalmist says. I have promised to obey your words. Is that an initiative step? The psalmist says, God, I have promised to obey your words. He's taking the initiative. I'm promising this, God. And then verse 58, I have sought your face with all my heart. Again, what is he saying? I have done this, God. I'm going to do it. I've sought it with all my heart. And then, verse 59, what does it say? I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. Is that an initiative step? An action he took? Verse 60, I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. He's just going to do it right away. Is that an initiative step? Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. Is that an initiative step? I'm not going to forget your law, God. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks. That's an initiative step to me. He's rising at midnight to give God thanks for His righteous laws. Anybody a Toby Mac fan out there? Go listen to Midnight, his song. Because it is a wonderful song. Because Toby Mac sings, If it's midnight... Or whenever it is, you're still there to help me, God. doesn't matter what time. And this psalmist is saying, At midnight I rise to give you thanks. Verse 63, I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. Is that a step you can take? I am a friend to anybody who fears you. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. So, did you catch those initiative steps that this psalmist takes after crying out, you are my portion, Lord, and this is what I'm going to do? Okay? And what struck me really hard was verse 63. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. A friend... If you don't know the definition of friend, here it is. 
One of them. There's probably many. But a friend. Implying likeness of character. And then I was like, there's got to be more friend verses in the Bible. Which there are. But I want you to focus on these verses because these are powerful to me. We prob- Sometimes we maybe not speak like this. Okay? But in Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What are we doing in this verse? Or what are people doing? They're encouraging each other, right? Because what? They're meeting together. When you meet together, and you're encouraging one another, and all the more as the day approaching... Do they have the same thing in mind? Yes or no? Yeah. We're spurring one another toward love and good deeds. We have the same focus when we gather together. And look at this verse now. This is from Philemon. Now, the last time I studied Philemon was not, it was about three years ago, okay? So I read this. But look at what Paul says to Philemon about Onesimus. Remember, Onesimus runs away. And Paul is encouraging him. And then he sends him back to Philemon. But he writes this to Philemon. He says, So if you consider me, Paul, a partner in the Gospel, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. Not as a slave anymore, but as a partner, a friend. You're in the same character. You have, you have the same mindset. Welcome him as a partner. And look at this one. A few from 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. What does it say? The first two words. Dear friends. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Dear friends. That's telling me we're on the same page. John the Apostle is not just this super apostle. He's saying, we're friends to this audience that he's writing to. Again, later on, dear friends, if your hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Again, he's constantly saying, dear friends. In chapter 4, three times, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends. What kind of relationship is that? A close one. We're friends. Do you have friends? I hope so. I have many friends and I need to be reminded of this. If we have friends, we're supposed to encourage each other. Not put us down. Not put each other down, right? And the psalmist is saying, I am a friend to all who fear you, God, to all who follow your precepts. And that made me think too. The psalmist says, I am a friend to all who fear you. Do you fear God? The psalmist is your friend. Is that cool? He says, I am a friend to all who fear you. So can we learn from the psalmist? Can we be encouraged by our friend, the psalmist? That's just... It's wonderful to me. 
And then the psalmist, if you have that last thing he ends with, look what he ends with here. Teach me your decrees. He ends this section with that. Throughout this long, long chapter, okay, there's 176 verses, all right? Throughout these verses, this psalmist cries out to the Lord for the Lord to teach him 11 times. 11 times. There is significance in learning and growing. And what better source than God Himself? The psalmist says, Teach me your decrees, Lord. Teach them to me. You teach me, Lord. He is the God who breathed His Word into writers for them to write down. And we can trust this book. I ask you again, what do you do with this beautiful book? And to echo John Wooden, who we started with, if I am through learning, I am through. Don't stop learning and growing in your relationship with, with God, with Jesus, following the Holy Spirit's leading. So what's the takeaway again? We are to grow in our relationship with God and His Holy Word. In any relationship, taking initiative is necessary. I think we can learn from the psalmist here. Taking initiative is necessary. And as an invitation, I'm going back to verse 58, the second half of 58, because that hit me too. Look at it again for the invitation. The psalmist says, Be gracious to me according to your promise. Now think with me for a second. The psalmist says, in verse 56, right? This has been my practice. This has become mine. I obey your precepts. You're my portion, Lord, in verse 57. I've promised to obey your words. I've sought your face with all my heart. And then he says, be gracious to me according to your promise. Be gracious to me. Do you like grace? Have people shown you grace before? I've shown a lot of grace to my kids. I know that. But go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're echoing the psalmist here. Be gracious to me according to your promise. And Paul writes this to the believers in Ephesus. And I believe it's helpful for us today too. Starting in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace... What is it? By what? Grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's grace is amazing. God's grace saves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. That's a lot of grace. We were deserving wrath but God sent Jesus to die for us. And I'm going back to verse 8 again, but for by grace you have been saved, and you can't forget this, through faith. That's an initiative step, I think. You have to believe it. You have to say, God, you're the only one that can save me, and you sent Jesus to die for the sins of all people. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Be gracious to me. Be gracious to us according to your promise. Grace is amazing. One passage, another, one more passage and we'll be done. Actually, two more, I'm sorry. But I don't want you to miss this. Because some people, there may be some people here that says, yeah, I believe it, but I just don't want to take another step. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, and he has a thorn in his flesh, okay? He has this burden on him. And he says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is sufficient for Paul in his weakness? God's grace. I think the psalmist would say the same thing. I've sought you. I've promised to obey you. But be gracious to me according to your promise. I know I might mess up. I know I'm going to be weak. I know I'm going to go through a hardship. I know I'm going to suffer. But you're with me, God. Be gracious to me through it all. And then to finish, and then we'll pray, and we'll sing. Going back to the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5. And this is powerful to me because this is another initiative step that some people may need to take. It says this, 1 John 5, 1 
through 5, and then we'll close in prayer. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith in who? Jesus, the Son of God. You have to believe that. And then what's the step that we take after that? We say, God, I'm a sinner, right? And then we say, God, you're the only Savior of the world. We don't stop there. We are following and obeying commands of God and His Word. Remember, Peter spoke that great sermon, and the people were like, what do we do? And Paul, Peter says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? Those who accepted the message were baptized. You have to accept a gift. If you believe, I'm just going to flat out ask this out loud. Okay? Are you ready? And you, I want you to be honest. Because I'm going to shout it out too. I'm either going to say yes, or I'm either going to say no. Do you understand? Now watch this. This is the first time I've ever done this. I've debated on doing it sometimes, but I'm going to do it. Online people, I want you to do it too. I can hear you from here. I want you to answer this question, and then you're going to get a follow-up question, and then we're going to pray. Make sense? Because this is, this is going to be an invitation. I want you to answer yes or no. And I'm going to say it too. I'm going to answer the question too. Do you... Okay, you got that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. I heard a lot of yeses. Now, if you answered yes, whether out loud or in your mind, I know some people are nervous to say them out loud, but if you've answered that question and have never taken the initiative step to say, I need to be baptized, and you said yes, okay, and you never took that step, wouldn't it be cool to be just like the first sermon of Peter, and the people were like, what do we do? Peter says it, and whoever accepted it, they baptized about 3,000. Now, it would be cool if we baptized 3,000 today. But if you answered yes, and you never took that step, there's water. What's stopping you? Let's pray. Oh God, sometimes your word is very, very convicting. 
Because we said earlier, please teach us through your word. And I believe you've taught us many things today. Thank you that the psalmist is a friend of ours. Help us to call out to you. You are our portion, Lord. Teach us your decrees. Help us to follow you. Help us to obey you. Help us along this journey. May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And thank you for the Holy Spirit even interceding for us right now with the words that we cannot speak or don't even know how to speak. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the Messiah, the Son of God. Amen. Please join us as we sing our invitation song.